Oh, and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen, and I am joined by my partner in crime, Mike Gennetti, with Spotrek.com. Uh, Keith is unable to join us today, so Mike is jumping in to fill in. We are here to talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Mike, thanks for joining. Uh, last minute here. Uh, a couple topics that I think will fit uh, what you follow as far as the NBA. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start off with uh, Steve Kerr. He signed a two-year, $35 million extension last week, uh, late last week, and that matches up with Steph's contract length through the 25-26 season. So I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the Steve Kerr extension because not only do you follow everything else, you follow coaching contracts as well as best as we can. So what are your thoughts on the Kerr contract? Yeah, as much as possible, we cover the coaching stuff, uh, you know, kind of with – a fine tooth comb, right? I mean, it's, it's one of the more lock and key financial values out there really with every single sport. We can, I think we kind of know that Popovich is still the annual average leader, even after this extension for Kerr. Um, but it was about compensating Kerr heavily over the last two seasons. It feels kind of like a Kobe contract, right? <laughs> we kind of got to raise the ante a little bit in his last couple of seasons. <clears throat> and then the big thing is, is what you mentioned. It aligns with Steph. Um, Look, four months ago, this was never going to happen. I mean, there were really notable people in the NBA media calling for Kerr to be moved on from here to sort of keep this Warriors ship together. And not only has he righted the ship, but I, I feel like he has he's in the coach of the year running, right? I mean, I mean, it's come completely full circle. So this is a warranted extension. Um, I, I don't know if it's a final extension. Does it kind of feel like that to you? That, that yeah, maybe they're yeah. That that, that was a something that I was going to bring up. Is this even the last hurrah? This may be just to align with Steph to see where the Warriors are in, you know, two years, just to you know yeah. lock him down so that there isn't the conversation back and forth in the media of is is Kerr done uh, after this season? It sort of puts that you know to the back burner at least for another two years. I think. Oh, yeah. It's definitely about quieting the noise more than anything. And also, you know, like I said, um, front loading some cash into Steve Kerr's pocket. Not that he hasn't earned plenty over the past decade or so in Golden State. I don't know. He's 58. He'll be 60 at the expiration of this contract. That probably feels like a nice round number for him to walk away from. Steph will be 37. He feels like he could play into his 40s, sort of LeBron-esque. So we'll see if there's another another round to go from here. But if this is it, if it's if this is the signal that it's this uh, at least Steph Steve Kerr combination in the NBA is two and done, then we'll just have to sit back and enjoy it, I guess. Damian Lillard has come out and mentioned that he is now bored in Milwaukee. His remaining <laughs> contract length is he already exercised his player option for next season at $48.7 million uh, because he signed an extension. Uh, for 25, 26, he's got 54.3 million. And then 26, 27, he's locked into 58.6 million. Uh, is this just a middle of the season annoyance or is this just another superstar who is, uh, you know, trying to put the tea leaves out there that he, he's not long for Milwaukee and we're going to see another trade at some point. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah. The memes have been phenomenal with this one, right? I mean, boohoo to the 170 million dollar player who has to you know find some time for video games in milwaukee it's a little bit out of context right i mean i don't think he necessarily came out and said i'm bored 
He just said he's calm, right? He's not, I don't think there's a, there's a nightlife scene that he's getting to and et cetera, et cetera. He's, he's an aging veteran, right? I mean, he's not doing the things he was doing when he was 25 years old, regardless of the city. And Giannis is all in on being, you know, 100% basketball focused. And it's just a different animal. That's all this is. I, I can't imagine he would be requesting a trade, even though, I don't know, in 18 months, is he going to be on Miami? Probably, right? This is this is going to end up where he wants to be eventually to finish out his career. But I, I, if I'm a Milwaukee fan, I've got at least two more seasons with Damon Giannis, in my opinion. And then maybe in that final year when this that $59 million salary is an expiring contract, maybe, depending on what has happened over the past couple of seasons, Milwaukee grants him his request and he goes and plays with Spolstra to finish it out. But I don't know. I'm not reading too much into this one. And I'm sort of on the side of you're making $170 million over the next three years. Just uh, enjoy playing with one of the greatest human beings in the entire world, which is Giannis Antetokounmpo. I find it interesting that this is coming out on the heels of the whole James Harden situation from yeah. Houston to Brooklyn to uh, Philadelphia, where he played with, you know, Embiid and similar situation where Lillard is with uh, Giannis. And so, you know, we have these superstars that if they're not in the place that they want to be, they, they yeah. put out their feelers that they're not happy. And then I, I hope it doesn't come to where, Lillard becomes like James Harden where it's just going to be jumping and jumping or even Durant jumping and jumping now that he is out of Portland and you know the grass isn't necessarily always greener on another team yes he is on a better winning team than he was but I hope you know they figure something out or you know otherwise you know we're I remember years ago with the Chris Paul situation, we were like, there's no way Chris Paul is going to be traded at $40 million. It's just not going to happen. And yeah. now, you know, are we going to be where we're trading 54, $58 million? It's just, you know, it's just interesting to. where things are, you know? Yeah. We're going to have to, right. That's where we're going. And right. LeBron's going to be at least rumored to be on the block after the season. It's, you know, with that player option that he has, I don't know, there's so much riffraff connected to that. Yeah, we're going to have to get used to trading $60 million because you're going to have at least a dozen players getting there soon, if not more, with some of these rookie you know extensions kicking in. So it's just where the league is going. And until the bubble bursts, it's just going to continue to rise and rise. I, I'd i zag on this one if I'm thinking more long-term. I, I mentioned it on the Spot Trip podcast last week, Scott. This East is a mess. The, the Knicks are all banged up. Right, the the Bulls are somehow you know going to find themselves maybe in a real playoff spot at some point in time. When Keith wrote a ten thousand word piece not you know two months ago, saying basically step by step how to break this team up, uh, it's a mess. It's been a back and forth roller coaster. I would put some stock in Milwaukee as maybe one of the more stable teams that could at least find that two seed, get a couple of nice matchups in the postseason, and really make a run. Because we've seen Boston stumble, what, five years in a row now? So it's not like that, you know, they're going to run away with this thing, even come playoff time. I would zag to put this Lillard boredom story in your bank and use it as fuel to make a decent-sized bet on Milwaukee in this postseason because they've been there before. And and Dame has a lot of reasons to win a championship right now. Let's put it that way, right? He's got 15 seasons or so of never getting to the finish line. He's going to smell blood come June, right? He may be bored and playing video games right now. When it gets real, 
some of these players, and, and I'd include Dame in this conversation, are really going to turn up the juice, and uh, we'll see if, if, if it can come to fruition. But I, I'd bet on Milwaukee right now more than anything. Yeah, that's why I started the conversation with, is this just a middle-of-the-season annoyance where the le- the season is just so long now, yeah. and there's just you know the drudgery of the, the middle of the season is just coming out. And like, like you said, once we start getting more into the middle of March, end of March, April, and playoffs are really starting to be sniffed here, um, I, I think all that conversation goes away. But this is a great transition into spending to win. So yeah. Keith did an article uh, uh, that I asked him to do on the Minnesota Timberwolves. He came through and he found some interesting conversation that I want to bring to you uh, with the spending to win because he found that of the last 15 NBA champions of the last 20 years, 15 had been in the tax. So right now, the Golden State Warriors, the LA Clippers, the Phoenix Suns, Boston Celtics, Milwaukee Bucks, Denver Nuggets, Miami Heat, and Los Angeles Lakers are all tax-paying teams. Uh, so hmm. my question to you is, you know, is this a trend that you find interesting? I know you follow Major League Baseball the most yeah. uh, with their tax system and everything like that. So does 15 of the last 20 years of t- a taxpaying team winning the championship surprise you? No, right. I mean, that's a 75% hit rate. So I I think that it makes a heck of a lot of sense. We know that this is a veterans league more than anything. It's starting to trend a little bit more towards the middle where some of these younger teams like a Minnesota could at least be a flash in the pan, Oklahoma city possibly. Um, But if you're telling me that I get a 75% hit rate on, betting one of these eight teams to win the championship i'm betting one of these eight teams to win the championship um the maybe some homework for keith on this same 20 20 year sample size and he won't have full data because i don't think we go back that far with our nba stuff but i'd love to know the tax season versus how much that team invested in the off season and maybe not so much internally but how how much of it is new Right. Like so much of Milwaukee is new. Right. So much of Phoenix, to a degree, is kind of brand new. Golden State is rock solid. Miami, for the most part, pretty rock solid. The Lakers even seem like much of a carryover from last season. Certainly Denver starting five is completely, you know, player for player. And Milwaukee's sort of in the middle of that. Boston really, really, except for, you know, Porzingis and Holiday pretty much a carbon copy of last season to me that's what matters the most uh it's really hard in all these leagues and i put i put baseball in this conversation too and i'm thinking about the dodgers right now who have had significant changes to the roster it's really hard to put together a hell of a lot of new in an off season and then three four months later expect that team to win a championship so you know is harden going to be the piece that that puts the clippers over the top or will the lakers consistency went out in the end you know that kind of conversation is is where i would go next with this but if you're telling me that tax teams win 75 percent of the time i I believe you 100 out of 100 times for sure yeah in the major league baseball system it's not if i remember correctly it's not really you know the highest tax team ends up winning in the in the major league baseball correct well, you know, so you're getting, getting me to talk about my Mets now, of course, but obviously it's not a one-to-one relationship. Um, it's 
probably the hardest championship to win in all sports baseball because of the length of the season, because of now the length of the postseason. Everything's been expanded to the nth degree. It is like three marathons built into the same season. So, yeah, you can try to 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 buy a championship in Major League Baseball, but unless you're buying a significant amount of depth, you're just not getting to the finish line. So I look at a team like Denver that drafted depth and basically paid their core. That's generally how things work here, right? And that's what Golden State's been trying to do for the past three years. It actually looks like it's starting to work, by the way. <laughs> they cannot stop winning games. Um, everybody appears to be healthy. Clay is certainly settling into his role. That's a team I'm betting on right now because of this conversation, because there's consistency and their depth is young and talented players that probably need to overachieve in the postseason. So it's a fascinating conversation, but yeah, it's good data for sure that, that the league has come a long way and all this money is getting tossed around. But unless you're really pushing the gas pedal all the way to the floor, you really don't have a fighting chance to win a championship in this league right now. Yeah. And if I fast forward to next season with the data that we currently have, you know, there's already nine teams in the tax. Yeah. One that's not there is the LA Clippers, but I'm going to assume they're going to be a tax team once Harden resigns and, and some other dominoes fall. Minnesota and Memphis are the two teams that jump in that are currently not tax teams. So, I mean, we have teams that it, it's teams all over the place, like you sort of alluded to. You have some teams that are homegrown kind of teams, Memphis, Denver. Then you have uh, even Golden State to a certain extent as well. And then you have some teams that have some homegrown, but also have brought in some outside via, you know, free agency or trade like Boston bringing in Holiday and Porzingis. Phoenix brought in Durant and, you know, made a bunch of other trades uh, with bringing in Beal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, it's a mix of however your team can operate efficiently but paying at the same time so there is no carbon copy of we just need to build from the ground up and have all of these um, you know homegrowns and and not bring anybody else in which you know is interesting because we have teams like Oklahoma City who they've almost been exclusively homegrown you know they brought in SGA from a trade but that was so far ago it's almost like he was a homegrown with Oklahoma City um so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what teams are, how they operate from the tax standpoint. Are they at a level that they're all in, they're going to continue to pay, or are they going to rip the Band-Aid off and try to get under? You know, Portland was in that situation. Yeah, for a uh, decade. <laughs> where, you know, and now they're not a tax-paying team. So it, it's going to be interesting to see. But, I mean, if if 75% hit rate, you know, you can pick and choose out of the eight or nine teams that already are, you know, tax paying teams projected now and just throw money on those teams for the future for the 20, you know, the 25 championship. Let me jump uh, in on this, Scott, because you're yeah. hitting a couple of points that, that I was about to get to anyway here. Right. right? If we if we kind of cross examine some of these sports together, um, you know, I'm looking at these teams, especially for next year, for 24, 25 that you're talking about that are currently taxpayers. We really don't have a team here that I would say shouldn't be there. You know, everybody has a purpose for being there. And by the way, piggybacking off of Keith's Minnesota piece, uh, I, I was able to scan it, not fully read it yet, but I believe what he's saying in a lot of words is Minnesota is about to be the highest paying team in all of basketball, right? The, the, 
the Crows are coming home to roost on basically every single young contract that has to hit, right? Anthony Edwards, that contract's going to hit. It might be hitting at 30% if he makes an All-NBA team. If you're keeping Carl Anthony Towns, his numbers get absolutely astronomical. You know what Gobert's contract costs. They're going to be right up there with the Denver's and the Boston's of the world in terms of top three salary when it comes to the, you know, a full roster. So it happens quickly. The difference with the NBA versus the NFL, which I'm knee deep in right now is it's really freaking hard to, to turn it around and rip that bandaid off. Like you're talking about because of salary matching and trades. So you can't just dump Bradley Beal and get nothing back for him. What you have to do is acquire expiring contracts that take two years to filter out of your system from a salary cap standpoint. And at that, by that point in time, you've probably already acquired or had to internally pay somebody else that basically replaced the salary that you're already trying to get rid of in the first place. It's really hard to go from all the way at the top to near all the way at the bottom in the NBA. If I talk about the NFL quickly, right? Cause we're heading towards this new league year, the top three salary cap teams in the, in the NFL last year, were the Carolina Panthers, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Denver Broncos, all right? All three of those teams are trying to shed cap like crazy right now, right? Carolina has no idea who they are. They're, gonna, they're probably going to trade everybody under the sun, including Brian Burns, their superstar defensive end. Philadelphia seems like they're kind of stuck in the mud, and they're trying to trade some pieces to lower their cap hit. And we know what Denver's doing. Sean Payton's basically coming in with a couple of axes, and he's cutting everything off at the head, including the quarterback. You can do that in the NFL, which is why, by the way, which is one of the reasons why it's so damn popular. It's why it's a 12-month sport. You can go from zero to 100 and 100 to zero in the matter of one season. And in the, the NBA, you get kind of stuck. And I think it's fascinating. We talked about Portland there for a second. You, it was kind of like our running joke internally that Dame and that Portland team, McCollum and all these players, were one of the highest allocated teams financially in all of basketball. And we're a first-round exit, what, like five out of six straight years? They, they were just stuck and stuck and stuck and stuck. And it was affording them no good draft picks and no way to really get better without trading one of their big pieces, which they eventually did in McCollum. So I think it's fascinating that the league is structured this way, that once you go into this level, this, this tax level that we're talking about, you better have like a 10 year plan because you're not getting out of there anytime soon, unless some drastic things happen. And obviously that's fun for everybody to follow. So fascinating. We'll see which one of these teams, feel like they have to fall out maybe to be the Lakers post LeBron if, if that's a situation that's fluid after this season but most of these teams feel like they're going to be here for half a decade yeah that's a fantastic point and I'll add on to that with with the new NBA rules yeah. you know teams go into the season they have to be at the salary floor so you know team otherwise they get hit with a, a massive cap hold that stays on for the entire season so if a team were to try to dump a player you know into a team that has cap space it has to be done in july and august and september so it has to be sort of a forethought kind of conversation mm -hmm. with that team that has that space if they want to eat a, a player into cap space and, and only send cash or picks back. So once the season starts, it's not like we used to see where, you know, a Car Carmelo Anthony gets traded to Atlanta and then they just buy him out because they had cap space and they just send back yeah. nothing. You know, that those days are by the dodo now. Yeah, I hate that and, stuff anyway. It's garbage. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. But what I'm saying is 
it's not as easily read, you know, easy to just rip that bandaid off from a dumping a salary for picks anymore. And if you are up in that apron, second apron, you're even handcuffed even more where you can't aggregate salaries. So you can only send out one player and, and you can't add in other fluff to, you know, appease those other teams. So, uh, the, the ripping off this, the band-aid. Let me ask you this, because yeah. it's been a minute since I've reviewed this latest CBA and how it all works. I know there were significant tax changes. In your opinion, did it get less difficult to become a small taxpayer? You know what I mean? Like, did they did they lower the impact of just slightly going over? I know they added the big threshold at the top for the Warriors and those massive super tax teams. Did they make it a little bit? In other words, are they kind of promoting teams to dip into the tax a little bit now in any way? Because I feel like that's something they could have done is is drop the percentage of the bill in that first first apron to to kind of woo some teams that go a little bit over that threshold. Because then you're you're guaranteeing that half your league is going to be in. You know what I mean? Like financially invested. If you make it at least baseball did this, by the way, which is why I'm bringing it up. We're going to see more and more teams be like a million or two million over the tax. And the reason is, is the tax bill is like $40,000. You know what I mean? The, the Yankees kind of treaded water there a little bit. I, I just wonder if basketball incentivized a little bit more cash spending with that kind of move. Or is it really just about making sure that the super teams are deflated a little bit? It's more about super teams being deflated a, a bit more. You can still operate within the tax realm of the, you know, the first apron or uh, the non-tax. I think more teams want to have the non-tax if they can to mm-hmm. operate because that uh, MLE is much larger than the tax MLE. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they're, they're really handcuffing those teams that really want to spend um, so that, you know, they, they try to get them out of that range so that they're, you know, they can do more things. You know, the, the, the rules in the second apron, they're, like I said, they can't aggregate salaries. Uh, they can't add cash into trades. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they've really restricted them to really only signing minimum salary players. You can do a trade, but like if you're trying to send out, if say Golden State was trying to flip Chris Paul at the trade deadline next year, um, you know, they would have to have, you know, a lot of players coming back for one player. Um, so it, yeah. oper- it it's way more restrictive from their roster construction than anything. So, you know, more teams are going to have to, like you said, they're going to have to have a 10 year plan of yeah. how are we going to operate? You know, one of the things that teams have started to do, uh, with this is like the Denver Nuggets. They started buying second round picks for cash last last summer, knowing that they were going to be a tax team, but they wanted to get these second round picks because now there's the second round uh, exception. Uh, it, they don't have to spend their MLE mm. or their tax MLE or you know cap space in, in some instances for teams that do have that. So they can actually use the second round pick exception on those players. So teams that are operating way up in that second apron, you're going to start seeing more teams buying second round picks. Uh, they're going to go to Oklahoma City because they yeah. own so many. They're going to pay $2 million for a second round pick or you know even more than that because they know 
They need to fuel their fire for the next five to six years. But the only way that they can do it is either acquire those players through the draft, minimum salaries, or, you know, making very, you know, limited trades that they can do. Something I've been thinking about quite a bit, and, and this conversation kind of made it percolate a little bit for me, is at, at one point in time, are, are we going to look at the Boston Celtics? Maybe it's when they're raising the trophy this year. At what point in time are we going to look at the move uh, of taking Brad Stevens off the sideline and putting him in the front office and realize that they were playing check, ch- chess when everybody else was playing checkers? And that that was being publicized as a bit of a firing, right? Well, he's kind of he's kind of lackluster as a coach right now he's sort of you know played out his uh, his role on the sideline but we think he can handle the front office that's sort of how it was tagged when it happened and i see it completely differently i see it as they saw this nerd shit coming man they saw this this cba that was filled with all these conditions and all these all these things that weren't going to allow teams to operate the way that they've been doing it for the past decade which is let's just throw money at the wall and hope it sticks and this in and out, back and forth, the buying of second round picks, the the elimination of the buyout players to, to some degree, right? That's what the super Correct. tax has also eliminated, mm-hmm. right? You can't just pick up a three point shooter in 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 January anymore, or excuse me, in March anymore, right? So, I, I think they looked at Brad Stevens and said, "You're a hell of a coach, but we need your brain. <laughs> we need you to figure out how this next iteration of the CBA for the next decade is going to change the sport," and it has. And it will continue to change the sport. And it's possible that Boston just got ahead of everybody else, you know, and, and that, that Brad Stevens' job was just kind of to do what we do, which is to sit down, learn the CBA, and try to figure out the loopholes that we can exploit for the next five years to make sure that, yes, Tatum and Brown are the easy decisions. What else can we do to stay within these, these kind of boundaries and maybe push things to the next limit? So. I just wonder at what point in time Stevens is going to get a heck of a lot of credit and Boston in general gets credit for putting somebody that could read the room from every angle in that position, knowing that the GM role and the front office role for the NBA was going to get a heck of a lot harder for this next decade. I I just, I don't think it's incorrect to think that. And I I bet if Keith Smith were here, he'd say the same thing, knowing how close he is to some of these front offices. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that goes to say with the, like I said, with the Denver Nuggets, they were like the first team to start buying second round picks. So what teams are going to have to start thinking forward and having a front office, you know, capologist to really read the tea leaves on how are we going to operate? And and like you said, and I'll reiterate it again, they're going to have to have a plan for five to 10 years out. It's no longer a, uh, we're just going to operate a year to the year by the seat of our pants. The teams that are up in the second tax and foreseeable future, you know, go back to the Minnesota conversation. If all these things stay as is, they keep towns, they keep all these other players, they're going to be a tax paying team for the next five years. And, you know, they're going to have to have a plan because as they continue to get more and more expensive, they are going to be able to operate as uh, they used to. So, um, and this transitions into, the, you know, spending to win the current championship odds, as you've said, the, the, the Boston Celtics are far and away the top team at plus uh, 220 right now. And then you've got Denver, the LA Clippers and Milwaukee round out the top four. But as I have on our agenda sheet, I put where they currently reside on the standings right now next to their odds. 
and you know it's a little bit all over the place i have mm-hmm. no idea why the the pelicans are you know they're 10th and they're so far down on the uh the, the odds right now it's sort of an anomaly of how things are shaping up here but uh based on the conversations we've had uh, what team are you eyeing up based on the current odds right now and in conjunction with the standings how the hell is philly ahead of miami the lakers the warriors <laughs> and the pelicans that's right. what I want to know. Who's betting on Philly? They're, they're, they're betting. They're probably betting on Philly right now because, you know, Embiid saying, I'm going to be back. Oh. So people are dropping in money. Uh, Just like Aaron Rodgers was coming back, right? <laughs> Same thing? Right, yeah. <laughs> right. That That's the one that stands out to me the most. Um, in terms of value, uh, you know, I, I can't get to the Pelicans just yet. That's one of those things I have to see before I believe. But, uh, you know... Cleveland could do this. Cleveland could do this. There's no question in my mind that they could do this. They're a top five team right now based on standings. Uh, 27 to one is pretty good value. If you're sitting there looking at it, it seems like a team that's getting healthy and is figuring things out at the right time. So, uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to jump them ahead of the Knicks and some of these Eastern teams, sure. But I, I think those top four teams are dead on Boston, Denver Clippers, and, and the Bucks, and it goes back to what I was talking about before. They just have so much consistency. They're, they they, they kind of know who they are already, and and maybe Dame is still figuring some things out, and that's a piece that they'll have to get to over the next few months, and hopefully it solidifies with Doc at the helm. But um, you want to if that's the if that's the one team I'm replacing, I'd maybe sneak Cleveland into that Milwaukee spot in terms of value in that Eastern Conference. Which is interesting because Cleveland, the Knicks. Yeah. Minnesota right now, Oklahoma City, you know, those are right outside the top five and they're not taxpaying teams. And the conversation we just had was yeah. taxpaying teams win the championship. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that bucks the trend this year and, and shifts that percentage a little bit. Scott, who is the top allocated team right now in the league? From a, a cap standpoint or a tax cap or tax, standpoint? however you want to say it, it doesn't matter. Uh, the top total cap is the golden state warriors and then the la clippers and then minnesota Mm -hmm. from a tax standpoint it is golden state the clippers and then the suns and then the boss boston is number four well there you go Uh, in fact i believe (laughs) the top six tax teams are golden state the clippers the suns the celtics the bucks and the nuggets Correct. The top five odds to win the championship are Boston, Denver, the Clippers, the Bucks, and the Suns. So there you go. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it ain't rocket science, right? If you pay and you've got superstar veterans, you've got a chance to win the, uh, the NBA championship. And that seems like another season that's going to f- stay on that trend. All right. Let's finish off with, uh, you know, it's sort of a bleed over. I'm not sure where this conversation is going to go, but I figured having you on was a, a good conversation to have with NIL, the whole Kate and Clark situation with her declaring for the WNBA. You put in the salaries for that and sort of follow that as much mm-hmm. as you can with everything else that goes on. Um, you know, with the NBA, as I started digging in, there's really not a, a player in college basketball outside of Bronny James, who I found reportedly makes $6.2 million, uh, or around there from NIL. And there's a couple other players that were reportedly at $1.2 million. You know, in the NBA, the, the first year salary for a number one overall pick is 
uh, $10.5 million projected for the 24th season with a total over four years of about $48 million. You know, when we talk about the WNBA, as you alluded to it on, on X yesterday, you know, Caitlin Clark, her first year salary is the number one overall pick is going to be somewhere around $77,000 where she's reportedly making $910,000 from NIL. And then there's a couple others that are over $1.1 million, but you know, there's more incentive for her to, you know, go to the WNBA now because it probably opens up more doors she brings her NIL, but then adds more opportunities in addition to the NIL money where, you know, you know, uh, commercial endorsements, other league endorsements, yep. wearing the paraphernalia, whether, you know, Nike or whatever it's going to be, you know, she can do way more going to the WNBA than staying in college basketball where she's a little more handcuffed with what she can actually bring in. Uh, so I just want to get your thoughts with the whole NIL situation and um, wh- where you're at that. <laughs> All right. I'll go on my soapbox a little bit here. Um, re- the only reason I, I, I got invested in this is, A, I've been watching this girl all year, literally every game. Um, B, there's a, there's a monetary aspect to Caitlin Clark, right? I mean, she is literally the hottest ticket in the history of women's basketball right now. I think the average price for Sunday's record-breaking game is going to be about $600 a, t- a seat. That's insane, all right? That's I, I promise you, if she's not in the championship game this year, that ticket price will be half of that, all right? It will be half for the NCAA women's basketball t- title. So uh, it's insane what she's doing. Obviously, the records you know, speak for themselves. The problem is this. You've got a lot of people out there just saying, okay, she's making $900,000 now, and I think that report is pretty accurate. There's some pretty smart people at the Sportico's and the front office sports doing a lot of homework on this. And then she's going to make $77,000 next year because that's what the WME says. And the max contract there is 250. And, you know, it's just a, it's a terrible place to be. I'm trying to have these two conversations at the same time. A, Caitlin Clark is an incredible story on her own, does not need context. B, we got to stop trashing the WNBA. It's like 26 years in. It has quadrupled financially over the past 25 years, which is hard to do. Ask football how hard it's been to, to hold up a, 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 you know, a, an AF or a USFL or whatever the hell they try to do every two years. It's damn near impossible to get something off the ground that isn't established. The WME is established, all right? And yes, a lot of these players are going across seas to make more money, and it's not ideal, and there's certainly some bad you know, mixed in with the good. But the superstar players, right? Diana Shirazi, Brandon Stewart, Candace Parker, Lisa Leslie, all, the superstar Hall of Fame, you know, absolute studs that have come through the WNBA have been treated with like royalty. All right. They're all sitting in front of microphones right now, being, you know, being basketball analysts, not just women's basketball, basketball analysts, some for the NBA right now. All of them have commercials. All of them have Nike sneaker deals. All of them have Gatorade commercials. It's just it's just where we are. Okay. And to think that Caitlin Clark isn't going to get any of that or transfer those things from college now to the WNBA, something nobody else has been able to do, right? This is brand new. To think that that's not going to happen is just insane. And to say that, well, she's going to go to Indiana, so the market's not going to be great. Stop stop spewing from, the, from your rocking chair, Grandpa. That's 1980 stuff, all right? We live in, we live in the digital world, all right? You can, you can be famous freaking anywhere. 
And by the way, the proximity of Indiana to Iowa is going to keep her super famous in the Midwest. She's still going to get car dealership, you know, endorsements and, and autograph signings in, or in and around Iowa, let alone in Indiana as well. Everything she's making right now is going to transfer. She's going to drop a $77,000 salary on top of that. And she's going to drop a big old Nike sneaker deal on top of that, which is going to be the starting point, right? And what what female, you know, what young girl basketball player isn't going to want Caitlin Clark's shoe out of the gate? None. They're all going to get it. It's going to be a boatload of money, especially in year one. And if she can play and if she can hang in that WNBA, it's not going to stop. It didn't stop for Dana Trazzi. It didn't stop for Sue Bird. It didn't stop for any of the players I mentioned. And she should fit right into that conversation. So this whole she's going to take a pay cut. She's going to get lost in translation. Maybe, right? Maybe she does. She doesn't work out as a pro. I wouldn't count on it. And and with that is going to come a heck of a lot of money. No, not Steph Curry money. No, not LeBron James money. We have to stop doing that, right? We have to stop comparing the, the, the NBA to the WNBA. But for a female league in, in America, easier said than done, it has come a heck of a long way. And she is just going to amplify things. There's no question about it. Do, do you know if there's a rule one and done for WNBA or do they have to be um, a senior, junior? Do you know any of those rules? I don't know the rule. It happens so infrequently, Scott. Most of these girls ha- have gone the distance in college to to build up their brand as much as possible. And well, by the way, that's that, that's not going away. Right? Well, and that's that's where I wanted to go with with this is if if you're a superstar in women's college basketball, it's more advantageous for you to yeah. stay the long term to build your brand for the four years, whereas as I said out of the, out of the gate here, the number one overall pick is going to make ten and a half million dollars for year one salary. So it's still advantageous. If you're a, you know, uh, what Connor flag going to Duke to be a one and done, it's more advantageous for you to go be one and done, get your NIL and then go to the NBA because your salary is going to jump up so much more than women's college basketball build your brand for four years, really have a solid base and then go to mm-hmm. the WNBA and build your brand even more from there. Does that make sense? All right. I quickly found the answer for you. You have to be at least 22 years old. So four years removed from high school, graduated from a four-year college or simply be 22, have played overseas for a couple of years and then you can be eligible for the WNBA. So, so they're baking it into the cake. They want you to be established before you even get to the WNBA. And by the way, that's good business, right? It is. You, they want you to go and establish that brand. They want you to build up endorsements and bring them into the league with you. So exactly what Caitlin Clark has done is what the league is looking for. So if you think that this league isn't going to treat her like gold, you're wrong. <laughs> they're going to they're going to roll out the red carpet for her at, at this upcoming draft and do everything humanly possible to make sure that Indiana is a team on the rise. Right. The next Oklahoma City, if we're talking NBA, they want this Indiana Fever team who had the rookie of the year last year and Aisha Boston have the rookie of the year this year and then have a formidable team for the next decade so uh it it makes a heck of a lot of sense no you can't compare apples to oranges you can't do it right i just want it to be known she is not taking a pay cut not yet at least not until she flames out and if that ever happens i'll sit here and say well i was dead wrong but i'm not wrong about this all right all right great conversation here it went pretty much where i thought it was going to but um it, it was good to have you on we do a, a, a final thing here where we do what's next uh, for mm. Keith coming up. So what is next for you? I know you 
NFL, so you can promote some of that, promote any articles that you've got coming up. So what's next on your docket here with SpotTrack.com? Yeah, what's next is I'm 12 days away from the, uh, well, really 10 days away from the, the NFL League uh, free agency season starting, the tampering uh, period and all that. So it's really just about keeping up with the rat race. We've got constant, constant movement and fluidity in the NFL. And oh, by the way, there's still like eight decent Major League Baseball free agents available. So we're, we're monitoring those, trying to figure out some destinations and contract projections for what those players will get halfway through spring training now. But um, yeah, the, the basketball season is, is the one to monitor here, right? March Madness is here. And uh, in terms of uh, where Keith is headed, Scott, I would imagine he's just kind of cherry picking some teams that he thinks are going to be big time players this coming off season. Is that what's on his docket? Yeah, he, he's been doing some uh, what's next uh, mm-hmm. teams. Uh, he's got some contract next series coming he's been uh he's going to crowdsource a couple just to see but he's got a a list of players that he wants to do some next contracts on and then quickly we're going to be into off-season previews as soon as as soon as eliminations are starting we're going to dive into those right away so that uh uh like you said keeping up with the rat race because as him and i have talked about uh this summer is going to be a, a, a crazy summer trades uh, mm-hmm. the signings, the free agents, there's going to be a ton of movement in the NBA knowing that all of these new CBA rules are going to be in play. So uh, we're going to be on top of that, including, you know, the the rookie information that he has done in the past, the options, free agents lists, you know, he's going to be, uh, this is kind of a, a, a lull for him before it all starts hitting at the end of March here. So that's on his docket. Sounds good, man. Thanks. All right. Mike Gennetti. He, you can catch his podcast on Mondays and Thursdays um, if and at SpotTrack on X. Thanks, Mike, for filling in today. For Mike Janetti, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast. <laughs>